Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Revelation Project podcast. You're in for a treat today because I have got Joel Green, who is the CEO of Pro Level Training, the national director of Nike Sports Camp, and a former professional basketball player, and also a renowned motivational speaker here with us today. After retiring from professional basketball, Joel Green founded Pro Level Training, PLT, which has become a seven-figure company. He's a thought leader in the motivational category, and he has a BA in psychology from Ryder University, which has helped to fuel his ambition to inspire others. He has developed a reputation for personal excellence and motivational talks that contribute tangible advice for attaining desired goals, and many of the messages he has delivered are conveyed in his first book, which just came out this past September, called Filtering. And filtering is also And let me read you the second aspect of it, filtering the way to extract strength from the struggle. And that was the part of his biography that really struck me, because as all of you know, one of my favorite things that I talk about is extracting, you know, strength or the grit that makes the pearl, so the strength from the struggle. And so the fact that he's released it just really in the last month, I just have a huge grin on my face because I know how challenging it is to put a book out there. But as we were just discussing, the real work has begun as he gets out here and promotes it out in the world. So welcome, Joel. Monica, thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I enjoyed reading it so much. And I especially love, you know, just some of the little the little storytelling that you did just about bringing your son in and experiencing yourself even as an athlete or all of the ways in which these little events in your life all added up to what became the book. And and just now how you have really dedicated your life in service to others and brought so much, I would call them like antidotes. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like a way for people to look at things through a certain lens in order to turn around what they're seeing and turn any obstacle into an opportunity, which exactly. frankly is a gift. Like once you get that you can do that with every single challenge. So I'd love to just have you start out by telling our listeners just a little bit about your life in terms of the lens of struggle. And then when you got to the point where you started flipping it. Yeah, I mean, er- early on, I didn't do that, you know, um, but early on, I mean, I say before the age of 10, I didn't. But, you know, beyond that point, uh, I began to I felt like I had to see things from a different angle because, they, you know, the, the cyclic pattern of life just wasn't working out the way I I took it in and, and then related, you know, growing up in an abandoned house in Philadelphia, 
that's a, a very humbling experience in itself, you know, to begin with and, and being around violence during the crack era, things like that was just, it was difficult. And as a child, fortunately, I had short term memory as most kids do, you know, you kind of go through something, then on the surface, you get over it, but you still feel it, you know, especially the trauma from it. I was 10 feet away from a shooting when I was six and it's just, you know, had weapons poured out on me at, at around the same age. So going through things like that, it was all I felt initially was the struggle. But as things just kept happening and not that everything was just terrible and bad, but as things continued to happen, then that was unideal in my eyes, in my viewpoint. I told myself I had to start getting something from it. And obviously I had some help from family saying, look, you got to get something from this stuff, man. You complain about it too much. You know, you're going through it. You might as well get something from it. And I began really looking at things differently and started seeing struggle as an asset. Yeah. To be honest with you and saying, okay, every time I've struggled, I've been better after the struggle. And so I began embracing these moments where I'm like, okay, this is tough. But you know what? Last time I went through something tough, I was actually better on the other side of it. Let me actually not complain about it this time and actually lean into it and see what I can actually take from it and apply it to actually propel me through even, even faster. And so I began finding motivation within struggle from the struggle itself. So as opposed to trying to ignore the struggle, look away from the struggle, as so many of us do, because it hurts, it's painful. So why are we going to look towards something that's painful? Yeah. Why are we going to lean into something that hurts? But I found that when I've done that, and I've helped other people to do it, it actually doesn't hurt you as much as it did when you're trying to run from it. You know, you give it power when you run from it. You're allowing it to chase you. But when you face it, you actually stand up to it. Just like, you know, almost as if it was a bully. You know, once you stand up to the bully, bully tends to back down a little bit, uh, especially over time. So that's how I began treating struggle, you know, difficulties, you know, obstacles and challenges. I began facing them. And again, you know, filtering them, you know, just coming up with this method that I came up with for myself to really break down life that was so overwhelming for me. Mm-hmm. I had to find a way to break it down and make it more manageable for myself. So that's what this whole filtering method and process uh, came from. Well, I was going to say too, like, just like what you say is it's not about going through, but growing through each situation, Absolutely. right? And just, just exactly. even that, just even that simple adjustment. And I love what the person who really started helping you make those little tweaks and adjustments, Coach Jackson, yeah. where it was like, right, it's just like this subtle shift, right? Exactly. It's so subtle. And yet it made such a huge difference. Amazing. And so, right, it's like, I loved how you took these sports metaphors and brought them to life because Coach Jackson would be like, you'd be, you know, taking shots from all these different places on the court. And if you were missing it, he'd just say, make the adjustment. That's all he had to say to you. And you knew what that meant. And so it was like, then you started doing it in your life. So it's like when you're encountering a relationship difficulty, it's like, make the adjustment. What is it here, right? Exactly. I mean, again, you, you take shots in life as well. You go after different things. You go for it. You take your shot. And if you don't get it, you fall short, you miss. Just like you said, make, make the adjustment. Make the adjustment. Make the adjustment. Yeah. Misses versus makes. 
Mm-hmm. Like that was also a big distinction. And and so you're going to make some shots, make all the shots, and you might miss some, right? It's like, but I think your point is like, but you gotta, you're going to make some as well, right? So it's like, it's identifying. And, and I loved this piece too, because there was so much here that I was getting so much out of really taking a look at what we care about. And understanding that then that's where I'm going to put my focus and my energy is based on what I care about. And if it falls outside of that, it's just not as important. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's what it's about. All right. I love this. And so, <laughs> so everyone has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> right. Right? Exactly. Right. Right. So, so tell me more about that. Yeah, I mean, we go into everything we go into with some, hopefully, with some mild plan or some sort of plan in place. But the moment that thing, that relationship or whatever goes wrong or just you get blindsided, then so often we abort yeah. the plan. We abandon, abandon ship and we just like, OK, I'm out. It's like, wait a second. You know, you actually can stay in the fight, you know, just. Find again, find some adjustments to make, you know, lean into this fight a little bit, face it mm-hmm. and say, okay, how, what, what adjustments can I make? How can I not get punched in the mouth the next time, you know, but you'll never figure that out. If every time you, you know, figuratively get punched in the mouth, if you just ran every time you got punched in the mouth, yeah. if you just avoided every time, you know, you get blindsided by a situation or a missing situation, you get blindsided. It's like, I'm going to get out. You'll never figure out how to get through if you always get out. That's the mindset that people have to, you know, accept and say, okay, I I must get through this. And if you tell yourself you must to, or you need to, then you will get through it and you'll figure out ways. You'll begin to make those adjustments. That subconscious part of yourself that knows so much more than you even are aware that you know will begin to help you and assist you if you just stick with it and just find, you know, look to find some ways to, to get through it. It's so true. And for our listeners, you know, and this doesn't give away, I mean, there's so many great little stories in this book, but I would love it if you share with our listeners just the story that really stuck with you about Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. It's kind of towards the beginning of the book, but where this whole, I just thought it was such a cool little story and where it shifted kind of because everybody was thought they were watching one thing, but really it ended up being something else. So do you mind sharing that story? I don't mind at all. It's something that I grew up watching, you know, obviously that that was before I was even born. And but I grew up in a, in a boxing household. My my father used to box. My brother used to box. My uncle boxed. And I just always loved boxing. Muhammad Ali was, you know, a champion in my household and along with Sugar Ray Leonard back in the day. And seeing this fight on, on tape when I was younger, you know, it was wow, this is crazy. Like, wait, Muhammad Ali is getting beat up. Like, what's going on? And I love George Foreman, too. You know, he was a champion in my eyes. But seeing Muhammad Ali just get dominated, this fight was it was disappointing. I'll be honest. It's like, whoa, this is a big fight that I'm watching. I know it took place, you know, decades before, but I'm watching it for the first time when I was younger. It was upset. I remember I was like, yeah, I'm sitting down, sitting on the floor. I remember watching it, you know, the tape with my father and both my brothers. And 
like, wow, what's going on? Yeah, you're like, come on, like, you're better than this. Like, why are you just taking it? Yeah. Right. He literally is just getting beat up, you know, the entire fight. And George Foreman just has him up against the ropes and he's just wailing away at him. Power punch after power punch and Ali's not even swinging back at all. And the, the crazy part is you, you still saw Ali from time to time smile. It's like, OK, what's going on? You know, you, could, you, you knew once I watched it back a few times, I, I'm like, something's up, especially once I knew the end result. You know, you look back and you, you see him smile. You see his mouthpiece smiling a little bit. It's like, whoa, something's going on while he's getting beat up. Yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden later and more into the fight, those power punches from George Foreman just begin to get slow. Uh-huh. You know, Ali's still just bouncing up against the ropes, you know, just letting him hit him, protecting his rib cage, but getting hit. And all of a sudden, those power punches turn into love taps. And he was in that moment saying, OK, I'm the older fighter. George Foreman is the much younger, up and coming fighter. He's powerful. He's bigger than me. He's stronger than me. If I go toe to toe with him this entire fight, I'm going to lose. Mm-hmm. So he decided to say, OK, I'm going to just let him beat himself and wear himself out. And he found out how to make an adjustment amidst a very difficult and challenging situation while his corner was actually yelling at Ali, fight, fight, get in there. He said, no, I'm going to actually let him tire himself out. And next thing you know, George Foreman became so slow with his punches, Ali conserved and saved his energy that whole fight for one pouncing moment. And he was able to filter that moment right then and there amidst the situation and say, okay, very soon I'm going to pounce on this guy and get him. And all of a sudden, within a nine-second stretch, when George Foreman was completely burnt out from all those punches that Ali just was taking, Ali saved that energy up, got him within nine seconds. Foreman was on the mat. Ali won. And that's that's what's referred to as the rope dope you know, now. And it was amazing to watch and just to really see Ali's perspective after the fact, it's like, wow, he really filtered that while it was going on. While it was happening. While that was the magic of that moment, because so often we go through difficulties and we don't get the answer until hindsight tells us later on, like, oh, I should have done that. But Ali figured it out during that fight. If I make this adjustment, I will, I'm going to win. And he made the adjustment during the fight. We go through all these different fights of life and we're so emotionally distracted. That emotion clouds the moment that we're in. So we don't see things clearly in other perspectives. His emotions weren't in a way. He didn't allow for the emotions from his cornermen to get in the way. He clearly saw what was in front of him. He saw life and said, okay, I can see this from four different perspectives. This is a good one right here. I'm going to choose that one and I'm going to win. What if you could shave 15 to 20 hours off of your work week with proven copy templates and use relational marketing psychology to drastically increase your impact and your sales results? Sage has tested these methods for selling online for over 10 years and over 400 copywriting projects. They work for anyone with a business idea, including e-commerce folks, course creators, copywriters, coaches, designers, social media ad managers, and digital service providers. 
These techniques work. Even if you want to get started in online business, even if technology makes you want to cry in a corner, and even if you only have 30 minutes a day to implement, the strategies she shares will help you live your life outside of screen time, even if you don't have a big marketing budget. I love it, and I think you'll love it too. You can apply for your two-week trial by going to www.sagepolaris.com slash Monica using code REVELATION to get started for just $7 with Sage Polaris's copy template membership. That's www.sagepolaris.com slash Monica. Then use code REVELATION to get started for just $7 with Sage Polaris's copy template membership. Do you think, Joel, that there is a time in, or I should you know, reflect this back at you, that there was a time where everything just clicked. And because you, what you were just saying is so true, right? It's like we face fight after fight after fight after fight. And oftentimes we'll get hooked by the same kind of things, right? We get so in our heads and we get a lot of times what I've noticed is it's it's like self-abuse. Like I, not only am I getting beat up out there, but now I'm beating myself up for getting beat up. And I'm so consumed with like the getting beat up that I actually can't see the forest through the trees in that moment. I can't see past that. And so what I'm hearing you saying is that this metaphor and what Muhammad Ali did in that moment was he just accepted that getting your butt beat, you know, is part of life. Exactly. And he was looking for where he could have an advantage or where he could create a strategy Mm -hmm. in order to kind of get where he needed to get. So I'm wondering, like, what what was the event in your life where everything just started turning and you started seeing things more clearly, where you developed the discipline to not let the emotion and that place where you beat yourself up? It's like, for me, something turned and had you notice something that that became like the gem that you took into every challenge from that point forward. Do you have like an event? I do. Uh, It was back in 2016. So was going through a very rocky moment uh, in my marriage. And I was just, I was lost. You know, I, I was no longer a professional athlete and just, you know, seeking a way of life now a father, now a husband, and and just trying to figure things. I had all these questions about life. Um, I saw myself as already a pretty knowledgeable person on things, but I just still felt like I didn't know so much. And I reassessed my life and just wrote down all these goals. I'm like, okay, I have all these goals for myself and for my family, but I don't even know about half of these goals that I want to attain. I don't even have knowledge on these different topics or these areas. So I just began reading. And just finding as many mentors as possible. I began, I never forget, I ordered, you know, nine books at once. And I just started reading nine books every three weeks. And I put myself on this reading schedule to where I just literally, I transformed. And again, this was about six, just over six years ago. That's when I began writing my book. 
filtering, you know, as I began getting all these answers to life and just to my, my own problems and questions that I had, I said, wow. And I began speaking even more from the stage and just regurgitating different things I was taking in and speaking it from my lens and through my perspective. And I began seeing that, like, literally struggle provides the best strategy. Mm-hmm. It's like when you're struggling through something, that's when you figure life out. It's not when things are smooth. It's not when the, the, the seas are smooth. That, you know, again, that sailor becomes the best sailor. It's like, no, when things are difficult, that's when you figure out the best strategies of how to get through, how to get around, how to get over, how to get under some situations just to get to the other side. So I began embracing the struggle. Like, okay, it actually refines me. It makes me better. And it helped me to realize that all of the, the difficulties and the bad stuff that exists we weren't put here to make all of that bad stuff good. The bad stuff was put here to actually help make us better, to help improve <laughs> us, to help refine us. And the moment I accepted that mentality, I said, let's do it. You know, so it's, I'm not going to say bring the bad stuff on. No. However, when I get punched in the mouth, I'm not going to abandon it because I know I'm going to figure out how to fight. I'm going to figure out some way to get through this thing. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to stop you right there because what I want to point out to my listeners is he's saying, I'm not going to abandon it. But what he's really saying is I'm not going to abandon myself. Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. Because there's a tendency for us to abandon ourselves. That's what I mean when I say when, when I turn and I start beating myself up. That's self-abandonment. Exactly. And when you do that, you cannot find the strategy in the struggle. Nope. And you can't find the, it's like that clouded mentality, and we could call it emotion, but really what it is is self-abuse. Absolutely. It's self-abuse. And because the emotion is, I'm not good enough, I can't, I'm stupid for having gotten myself in this situation, like, why Why aren't I better? It's like, it's adding insult to injury in that moment. You're already getting beat. Exactly. But if the struggle is just part of life, and all that life is continually inviting us to do is to actually see that the struggle is there for us. Literally work it for us. It's literally working for us. And we stop abandoning ourselves in that moment where we actually turn to ourselves and we say, you got this. You can do this. Like, we got this. We can take a beating right now and, you know, see our way through this. You know, we can learn from this experience and we can use it to our advantage later. And that is this resilience piece that you model so brilliantly. You have this resilience in your spirit and it's taught you time and time again to bring this antidote to others. And that's what has you get up on that stage because everybody experiences challenges. And so if you don't have to know their specific exquisite pain, all you need to know is we all have that 
exquisite pain in some way, shape, or form in our lives. And that is not quantifiable. Pain is pain. Exactly. You know, he didn't have worse pain than she had. Like, pain is pain. There are certain situations that have advantages, and there are certain oppressive systems that create advantages for other people. But There's also a way that we can tend to get very clouded in our anger about disparities, whether it be racial disparities or whether it be gender disparities. But if we let ourselves get so consumed with the emotion around it, we can't then see our way through and we can't get the strategy out of the struggle. And that's that's the prize. I I really feel that And again, this is not coming from some super optimist. That's not who I am. Thank you. Because like enough dragging me to the bright side, right? Right. It's not not about that. uh -uh. It's it's just a a fact that every struggle has fruit. Every problem has, it's so many solutions are right within the problem. And again, this is, I promise I'm not this this optimistic person. It's really that I've seen enough, you know, cyclic patterns of life to where things didn't go right. I've been at the point to where I've complained about those things, complained about them, complained about them. And I got nothing from those situations. Other situations don't go right. I don't complain about those. I lean into those and I get something from them. And each time I do that, I grow, I get better. So I made a choice saying, okay, I have a choice to complain or correct by making some adjustments. And when I choose that side, I'm, I, I just continue to get better. As an individual, as a man, the anxiety begins to go away. That's been something to where I struggled with that I didn't even know I was struggling with back in 2016. Trying to figure out who I am besides just this athlete, you know, stuff like that. And I begin just really assessing you know, what this thing called ex- anxiety was. I felt like I was bred for it as an athlete. I could step to the free throw line and make any shot with zero, you know, you know, on the clock and I felt no pressure, but I just realized, okay, anxiety is okay. Yeah. I'm imperfect. It was me trying to be perfect and me trying to live on this side of the spectrum and that side of the spectrum at the same time. And that, that duality threw me off trying to worry about the future while I was in the present. And it's like, dude, be still, stay where you are, be where you are and stop trying to be multiple people was funny because this is how I look at anxiety. You're going to laugh, but you know, I, I would say, you know, I'm either going to be Batman or I'm going to be Joker, but I refuse to be two faced. So like Batman, he was cool being the good guy, mm-hmm. right? Joker was fine being the bad guy. He knew he was crazy. He decided to roll that way and say, okay, that's what it is. But two faced, he used to be good. Mm-hmm. But now he's out here acting bad, but still believing in being good, that's where that internal conflict and anxiety came from for him because his actions and his feelings weren't in alignment with his belief system. Mm. And so many times when that happens with us, it's like, ah, I'm trying to be this, but I feel that way. I believe in God and I can do all things through this. Like you say all this stuff, but when trouble comes, you're like, who's going to help me? Yeah. I can't do this, but you were just saying you believe you can do all things through like in that duality is so detrimental to us to where it's like, choose one side or the other. And for me, I had to choose to be this and give myself less options because the options confused me. 
Right. The less options I had, the less anxiety I had. I said, I'm going to be this to the best of my ability and be upright as much as I can and be comfortable and accept any imperfections that comes along with it. Yeah. Well, and what I'm also hearing is that we can have this tendency to be like, I think we've all just been, we've seen the impact of what I'll call spiritual bypassing, where everybody's like, well, look on the bright side. Right, right. Be this optimist. But I think when you do get to a point where you can turn challenges into opportunities, it kind of tips into this realm that I'll call grounded optimism. It's the place where you allow, it's like you're not bypassing, you're not kind of like out in the ethers, like Mm -hmm. not part of reality, but you kind of ground into yourself where you're no longer abandoning yourself and you're just having like real talk with yourself and you, you get really impeccable with paying attention to the words you're speaking and the actions and whether or not they're aligned with the words that you're speaking. And when you get into that alignment, it's like that's when you become present. Mm-hmm. And when you're present, you no longer have that duality because this the duality that's in constant conflict because you're thinking about who you should be right, versus how you feel. So there's something there for me also about making sure too that we don't bypass because we were just talking about the emotions. But if we get hooked by the emotions, we can't see the strategy in the struggle. But I want to make sure that I'm also not bypassing the emotions because we're allowed to have them. And this is the part that I think you're really great at, Joel, is because I think about who you are being to these young kids and especially these young men, these young boys. And I think that sometimes the, I'm just going to call it what it is, the white patriarchal double bind, right? The man box for men, let's call it, is like, I mean, we can look at what it is for women and black women, and I could go there all day long. But when I really think about what it means for boys and young men and black boys and black men and men of color, there is a... I mean, talk about the sheerest edge where, I mean, we're already not allowed to have our emotions in this society, but we've got, we've got them, you know, Mm -hmm. like we've got them. So what would your advice be for these boys? Because like, I watch my, my guys struggle and it's like, and actually the big struggle is between the emotion, which is something I think we're surfacing here. Mm -hmm. and the motivation. Yeah. Right? And it's like, those two things seem to be the conflict all the time. So I'm like getting curious about that with you. Well, I mean, I know as a man and and talks with, again, a lot of men, uh, you know, my age, older, and a ton who are much younger as far as the kids that I may work with, you know, we've all in some form or fashion, you can say taught or conditioned, to not cry mm-hmm. right you know yeah. i i was told hey stop crying you know by either it may have been my father or my brothers you know growing up in my household and it was just that that was how you develop i guess you can say emotional toughness you know if you want to label it anything you're taught that as a man because you're bred to be a protector 
So if the protector or the leader or the captain of the ship is crying all the time, then those who are following won't respect the lead. Mm -hmm. So it's like, just to get to the foundation of this thing, as a man, I feel like that's why we've been bred and, and groomed this way because we're being groomed to be leaders. So for myself, it wasn't until I just had to be more transparent. I'll be honest with you with myself, just looking in the mirror and being able to say, this is who I actually am. Yeah. I allowed myself to feel things more. I allowed myself to be more emotional. And I've told my son now with him, you know, he's nine years old now. I don't want him always crying. No, still, because I don't want for him to take that everywhere he goes in the world, because some things you do have to still face Mm -hmm. and not automatically stand down to and cry about or complain about. So I teach him now how to make adjustments as opposed to saying I lose. Right. You you know what I mean? Because a lot of times if you just say you just stand down anytime again, you're punching them out, then you never figure out if you just say I lose and you cry. Yeah. We have to figure out a way to win. So with me talking to a lot of young men all the time, I talk to them about adjustments all of the time because that's what will get us to the next level. That's how we'll level up. When I'm talking to people of color, we talk about all the time how to level up. You know, again, my name of my company is Pro Level Training. So obviously it was rooted in sports. But now when I'm talking, it's pro level mental training. It's all sorts of things where I just teach people how to level up. And when I go back to the inner cities and talk, I just let them know that so much of what you see and what's been given to you and given to us in the educational systems, you know, is not all there is. There's a whole lot more out there. Yeah. We've been restricted. I'm being honest. I've, I've, I've seen it, you know, as a child because I went to the school, to school in the inner city. In my last year, I went to school in the suburbs and my mind was blown. It was a revelation. Like two different worlds. Oh my goodness. It was literally, and it, and it was, it was saddening because I went to school in Philadelphia my entire life. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the suburbs my, that one year as a senior. And I'm like, there was so much we weren't getting. And it was, again, it was saddening. So when I'm going back to the inner city now to speak, wherever I'm talking, I give them everything that I picked up on outside of the city. They're already going to get what they're going to get within the city. So I give them everything else. Yeah. And so it's again, emotionally, especially when I'm talking to the young boys, I just try to tell them, look, you can express yourself. It's okay. You know what I mean? Let it out. Let me know. It's cool. You can tell me. Yeah. I, I've told too many kids that, you know, tell me then. All right. I'm not going to judge you. Tell me, cry it out. I've, I've had so many kids cry with me, you know, just because I let them know, hey, it's okay right here. Let it out. Yeah. You know, it, it's a tough thing sometimes because you still feel like you have to protect those around you as a, as a young boy, as a young man. And you don't want to have that be displayed all of the time. You know, like, yeah. Well, what I was, uh, what I'm really relating to is this, like, if we kind of put it in the realm of games, right, there's win and there's lose. Mm. And we can all relate to the fact that whether we played sports or our kids play sports, the the question we tend to ask our kids is, how'd it go, you know, in the game? And it's like, did you win? 
Yeah. Or did you lose? As if those are the only two options. Exactly. And there's this whole range in between about not that. Right. Exactly. That has nothing to do with whether you won or you, you lost. I find that that same metaphor works in life. We have this attitude about life as if we're winning it or losing it. Or losing it, right. And nothing in between. And it's, well, wait a minute. This is not <laughs> the name of the game. It's a whole depreciated journey that we took to get to that end result. And we pay no mind to it. We because- pay no mind to it. And then we measure ourselves on the stick of won or lost. That's deep. Exactly. Right. And so where I really love, you know, where filtering comes in is looking at all of these absolutes that you're talking about. And what you're saying is there is this whole range in between of adjustments that get made to play the game of life. And it's not actually about you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. And it's not even about that. It's about your personal strategy through your personal struggle. Right. And that's the story. It's about becoming. And that's really what it boils down to. And it's like, if you skip over everything that you just mentioned, you know, that those absolute, like just the end, if that's your focus, you literally can go through the same patterns your whole life and never become anyone new. You won't grow. Well, guess what? Because if you win all the time, I mean, right? Like it doesn't make your character any better. It doesn't make you better at life. Like, right? It's, It's just so interesting to me, the way that we compartmentalize everything. And I think it's just like, I feel what I really, really loved about your work it is all the in-between. It's the stuff that That's literally is hiding in plain sight that we have access to if we just soften our gaze, if we just put the filter on and like look at all of the ranges of colors and hues between the black and the white, right? And there's other metaphors for here too, I can see. We've been given so much that we are cognizant of. It's again, awareness is a, a, a freaking superpower. It is. You know, it, it's when you become aware, it, your eyes are open to things. Again, just like you mentioned, things right before your very eyes, people right before your very eyes. That's been in your life forever. That's been at that local store that you just start recognizing things and people and points of view and just perspectives that unlocks so many things that's been so many doors that's been locked in your life for years. And it's like, wow, here's the key. This just took me looking at it through somebody else's eyes, through, you know, if you're in business, okay, you've been reluctant to look through the customer's eyes. You know, maybe that customer that only comes in once a month versus you only looking at it through the customer that comes in 10 times a month. Look through that customer that comes in once a month and you'll realize why they only come in once a month. Maybe because you're lacking X, Y, Z. You know, so it's like, it's just... The awareness, it it really opens so much up. It does. I always say, like, the first tool I give anybody who comes to me for coaching is notice. 
Notice, notice, notice. Notice what's in the space. Notice what's not in the space. Notice how your body feels when somebody says something. It's just like just bringing your awareness and your attention to all the things you've actually been conditioned or taught to disregard as if they're not important. Those are actually the indicators. That's how we know we're passionate about something is when we have a visceral or an emotional response. That becomes the indicator for us of like, go this way or don't go that way. So so yeah, so much of this, I love what you said about it's really about who are you becoming. And I always say like, we kind of have to like unbecome before we can become. Exactly, exactly. And it's like unbecoming from all of the conditioning, unbecoming from all of the bad advice, unbecoming from all of the ways that we're conditioned in society to win or lose. Right. And, you know, and becoming is all about starting to do the filtering, Mm -hmm. starting to pay attention to what actually lights you up versus what doesn't. And then focusing on those adjustments as you move through life to focus even more on what you care about and letting the rest fall away. I mean, it's it's so, so, so important. I mean, you just said how how we've been conditioned. And it's funny, my son, he he, he was kind of complaining to me like, man, we have, you know, this standardized test coming up. And then they said we have three more throughout the school year. And I'm like, I don't like that either. And I began thinking about how we've been conditioned to just be graded. Yeah. Throughout our entire lives for an end result. And associate like our worth with the grade. With the grade, right? And the process means nothing. But what did you get in the end? That's all that matters. We start doing that to ourselves to where we overlook everything in between that, you know, initial learning and then the grade in the end. And we, we, we just condition ourselves to miss so much of all the processes that we go through in life to where, again, we, we overlook people, opportunities. And when we do that, those opportunities disappear. Those people disappear. They leave because we're not appreciating them properly mm. because we're just looking for an end result. We're looking for that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And like you said, we have to un- unbecome. We have to get rid of that grading ourselves mentality to say, okay, no. That's not what's most important. It's not what I, it's not if I get an A or an F, you know, it's about how do I grow in the process of whatever I'm going through? I may not even like this job that I'm going to, but what things can I get from it that can actually still help level me up a little bit, get me 1% better to where I can go toward that job that I do like. Yes. It's like we overlook even that job that we hate. We overlook the fruits of those jobs. And because we're just looking for that end result of, of even satisfaction, like realizing that everything doesn't have to be enjoyable. But if you realize that it could be endurable, then you can get something from it and say, Mm -hmm. okay, I can endure this. But while I'm enduring it, I'm going to strip this thing of everything that can be a benefit to me. And then once I decide to get to somewhere else, I'm going to be in position to actually level up. Yeah, I love that you said that about endurance, because it's true. There are some hard truths. There are times when, you know, and I'm raising my hand here, you know, like I've hit the ground floor, and I have to begin again. And 
as you're kind of building the building blocks to begin again, there is a certain endurance. It's like you have to remember, I am not always going to be in this place. But while I'm here, you better believe I am going to suck the marrow out of every opportunity that I have to learn something here, even if the lessons is patience. Or even if the lessons is humility, like I'm like, I just want, and maybe that's that grounded optimism. It's like, yeah, that ain't unicorn and rainbows. <laughs> it is like this way to fortify, you know, and people will often say like, you know, how do you get so, how did you get so emotionally resilient or emotionally strong? I would say that's why, because there was some part of me that got to that same place you did or the same place Muhammad Ali did where it's just like, I'm going to take these punches right now, but I am looking for the window. Right. I am going to look for those nine seconds or 19 seconds or whatever it was that he, you know, took, took that to the next level for himself, you know, and make those seconds count. And I think that that is what so many people are longing to connect to is that permission, I would say, to like have their feelings about their situation Mm -hmm. and it's that and use that grit to make that pearl, right? Use it, use it, use it. And yeah, and you have a similar saying and I can't quite get to it in this moment, but but it's like such a great book. And I'm so, I'm so honored that you came on to talk to me and share with my listeners today, you know, and I'd love actually, Joel, for you to tell them anything that you've got going on. And of course, direct them where they can learn more about you. Well, again, uh, as you mentioned earlier on, right now, just out here promoting the book and making appearances here and there, just again, just trying my best to make an impact simply put, um, and just help people to see life from a different angle. In addition, not in place of their own, but in addition to their own, just that way we can open our minds to having empathy, you know, toward others and even sympathy toward others as well. But uh, you guys can find me on social media. I'm on Instagram often at this point uh, at jgreenplt. That's J-A-Y green P-L-T through my website, joelbgreen.com. I, I love engagement. So if anyone of you reach out, I will happily get back to you and assist with in any way I can. But I'm on Facebook as well. Joel Green official. Definitely would love to hear from you guys. Amazing. And one more thing. So you can find my book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble as well. So Okay, awesome. Yeah, I was gonna say for our listeners, I'll be sure to put all of Joel's links, you know, his Instagram, his Facebook, and where you can pick up filtering on Amazon and in local bookstores. We'll be sure to put those links in the show notes. And Joel, just thank you so much and congratulations. Thank you, Monica. Again, I truly appreciate it. Yeah, and uh we'll be in touch. And for our listeners, till next time, more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.